Okay, well, good morning again. Um, I am excited to continue in our series about who is this one that they call Jesus. And this morning we're looking at two essential titles that are given to Christ. And one is Lord and the other is friend. And I find that it's interesting to take both of these and put them together when we recognize who and what it is that we have in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. One of the things that I want to encourage you in is to remember that this is not an either or, it is a both and. But I also want to make sure that as we leave here, we would see the blessing of this kind of juxtaposition of two attributes of who Christ is. The first thing that I want to say is this. Jesus is Lord, and he deserves to be Lord because he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the maker of heaven and earth. And one of the things that I would encourage us in is to remember and recognize that, yes, we can approach Christ as friend, and we have a beautiful relationship as our friend. But what I don't want to have happen is for us to flippantly treat our Lord as just an acquaintance or a friend. Because what we're going to discover is in him being Lord, he is worthy of much more than that. But also what we're going to discover in friend is it's not necessarily what we think today. It's not something that is a casual relationship. It's not something that we just kind of bring along and sort of have a mutual exchange as long as it's beneficial for us. And then if it's not, then we move forward. And what we're going to discover is, is actually the reason that we don't move forward and we can't move forward is because it was not necessarily beneficial for Christ. But he did it anyway. And that's what I want to share with you this morning, and that's what I want to show you as we look at both of these terms. So again, we're asking a very simple question, but we're going to dig deep into what it means to call Christ Lord as well as friend. And that is the question that we're asking ourselves. First name is Lord. It's kurios in Greek. Um, it is a term that is interesting to see, and what we're going to discover in a moment is where and when and how it is used one of the things that we need to remember and recognize is, as we said before, many people will speak about Jesus Christ. Many people will say that Christ existed. Many people will say again that he was a good person or a good moral teacher. Some might even say that he was a prophet. Some might call him rabbi. But it is a whole other thing to call him Lord. And that is where individuals will have a challenge or difficulty in ascribing that name. But what I want to show you and what I think is interesting for us to see is how this name is used, its frequency of use, and when it is used to demonstrate indeed who Christ is to us. So the Greek word kyrios is used in the New Testament to refer to someone who is an owner, an emperor, a king, a father, a husband, or a master. That's what that term is. That's what that term would encompass. It has three equivalent Hebrew translations that describe the names and titles of God. Yahweh, Adonai, and Elohim. But this is what's interesting. It's interesting to note that prior to Christ's resurrection from the grave, many would have called or referred to Christ as teacher or rabbi but not as Lord. It is only after Christ's resurrection from the grave that the title 
Kyrios, or Lord, began to be used among followers of Jesus. This is demonstrated by the fact that the majority of the times that the word Kyrios appears in the New Testament are in the Gospel of Luke, Acts, and Paul's writings. Here, each of the authors, Luke and Paul, are identifying Jesus with Yahweh, the covenant name of God in the Hebrew Scriptures. Why is that important? Friends, what we need to remember and recognize is that when Christ comes, he lives, he teaches, and he dies on a cross. And many people are hearing about who he is, and they're seeing the miracles that he's performing. Christ never denies that he is God in the flesh. He never denies that he is Lord. But for the time that he is on earth, people are still wondering, who is this Jesus? What we have to see is the transition or the change is after Christ has risen from the grave. After he has triumphed over sin and death. After he has proven the power of the resurrection. After he has demonstrated indeed that he is Lord. And so what is happening here is both Paul and Luke are saying, don't miss the fact that Jesus is Lord. Essentially what they're doing is is they're playing catch up. They're saying, do not miss the fact that the one who has come, who has lived, who has died on a cross, has risen from the grave. But also, don't miss the fact that he is Lord. Now, what you need to remember is, is in this, the word and the utilization of Lord would have been attributed to the fact that he is Yahweh, which ascribes Christ as the covenant God, but it also becomes very divisive. It also sets up this divisive line where it says, is he rabbi or teacher, which he is, but just, is he just a good moral guy? Is he just a prophet, which he is, or is he all of those things and Lord? Yahweh, the covenant God. That is the dividing line, and that dividing line still stands today. That dividing line is still what separates followers of Jesus Christ from individuals who are still looking for the coming of the Messiah. It's a very divisive term. It's a beautiful term, but it is a term that separates, essentially, believers from non-believers. It separates individuals who are still looking For those who are saying, no, the Messiah has come, it is Jesus Christ, and he is Lord. And he will come again, but we need not look for another. That's the big deal here. And so what Paul and what Luke are saying is, do not miss the fact, friends, that Christ has come, has died, and he is Lord. We no longer need to wait for the Messiah. We no longer need to wait for the Savior. It is Jesus, and that very Jesus is essentially the second person of the Trinity who is part of the covenant name, Yahweh, God. Why is that important? Because friends, Yahweh, the name, is a holy name that is utilized quite sparingly by individuals. In fact, we're going to see in a moment that it is so holy that actually after a period of time, people began not speaking the name 
And what they would do is they would actually, and that's why we say that it is either Adonai or Elohim, they would utilize that name referring to Yahweh, but not speaking the name of Yahweh. So here's the other thing that I want to share with you. Think about this. You have individuals for a period of time who are revering Yahweh, the God of the covenant, the one who has come to Moses, who has said, I'm going to covenant with your people. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to take you out of slavery. I'm going to put you into the promised land. I'm going to establish you as a people. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to build your land. That is what I'm going to do with you. I'm going to covenant or what? Dwell tabernacle among you. And Jesus comes along. And Jesus lives. And Jesus dies. And Jesus rises from the grave. And all of a sudden, what Luke and Paul are saying is, God has tabernacled among us. But he no longer tabernacles or dwells where? In the temple. He dwells in Jesus, and after Acts chapter 2, he now dwells in us. Jesus is Lord. That's what's going on here. So the first thing that I want you to see is this. As Lord, Jesus is to be identified with Yahweh, which is the covenant name of God. When we speak of Jesus as Lord, we speak of Yahweh, the covenant God aspect of the triune nature of who our Lord and Savior is, aspect of the unique relationship that is there among Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit that is within us. Now, I want to share this with you, and I want to show you what we're speaking about, okay? Because you have to put yourself back in the moment, back in the time, when all of this is coming to fruition, all of this is coming together. Remember and recognize that for thousands of years, Individuals have been worshiping God or Yahweh, which is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. God or Yahweh has dwelt among his people, whether it be in the temple or in the tabernacle, but within the Ark of the Covenant. He has walked or been with the people of God. He has provided for them. But now Christ has come. And Christ has ushered in a new covenant in his blood through his death and resurrection from the grave allowing us, obviously, full access to God through Jesus Christ to be able to approach God with what? Confidence, because of what Christ has done. That is because Christ is Lord. And yet, given the fact that he is Lord, that name is attributed or related to Yahweh, the covenant name of God. Interesting enough, what I want to share with you is this. The name Yahweh okay, occurs more than 6,800 times in the Old Testament. It's not a hidden name. It's not something that is sparsely used. It is all over the Old Testament scriptures. It appears in every book other than Esther, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs. As a sacred personal name, of Israel's God, it was eventually spoken aloud only by priests worshiping in the Jerusalem temple. Here's what's interesting. After the destruction of the temple in AD 70, the name was not pronounced. 
Adonai was substituted. Yahweh, whenever it appeared, uh, sorry, Adonai was substituted for Yahweh whenever it appeared in the biblical text. Yahweh is the name that is most closely linked to God's redeeming acts in the history of his chosen people. Pause there for a minute. Yahweh, right, is the name that is most closely linked to God's redeeming acts in the history of his chosen people. I'm going to covenant with you. I'm going to bring you out of slavery. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bring you into the land. Yahweh, right, is the name that is most closely linked to God's redeeming act in the history of his chosen people. Yahweh is the name that is most closely related to God's redeeming acts in the history of his chosen people. That is why Lord relates to Yahweh because this is the biggest redeeming act in the history of God's action of redeeming his people. Through Jesus, Kurios, who is Lord. Do you see how that relates? How that ties together? We know God because of what he has done. When you pray to Yahweh, remember that he is the same God who draws near to save you from the tyranny of sin, just as he saved his people from tyrannical slavery in Egypt. The two are inextricably linked. And so when we speak of Jesus as Lord Kyrios, what we're referring to is Yahweh, the covenant God, Savior of mankind, the redeeming covenant that God has made with his people. And friends, that's a great blessing to us. Because what we need to remember and recognize is that when Christ covenants in the beginning, he covenants with what? The nation or the people of Israel. Friends, we would not be part of that. We would not be included in that because none of us are Jewish. And so one of the other things that we need to remember and recognize is by Christ coming and living and dying for us, we are included in that with full rights and privileges of the kingdom of God because of the covenant that God has established through Jesus Christ, our Savior. As Lord, Jesus is to be identified with Yahweh, which is the covenant name of God, but also what I want to share with you is this. How many of you uh, just kind of take some time and watch the news lately? Anybody been watching? I, I don't watch it much, but um, anybody watch the news out there? How's it going out there? Not, not, not very good, is it? Right? Um, I'm not here to make us discouraged or anything along those lines, but when I look around and I see what's transpiring, it kind of makes you wonder, where in the world is this world going to go? What's happening out there? What's going on? What I want to share with you is this, is we have the promise that there is going to be a day, and a day is coming, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess okay? that Jesus is Lord. Now, don't miss this. Okay? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is what? Yahweh, the covenant name of God. Lord. 
You see that? We missed it. That's exactly what Paul and Luke and the writers of the New Testament are trying to say. Do not miss, don't overlook the fact that this individual Jesus who came, who lived, who died on a cross, who rose from the grave, is not just a good guy, not just a prophet, not just a great moral teacher. He is Savior, he is Lord, because he is associated with the covenant of God, Yahweh. I want to just take a minute. And uh, I want to read to you uh, out of Philippians. We're going to take a look at what's stated here, okay? We're right kind of in the middle of the book of Philippians. And Paul is speaking about what Christ has done. He's talking about how um, he is grateful for who Christ is, the fact that he has uh, been in prison, but yet Christ is in him. It is allowing him the opportunity to share Jesus with people. And then he moves into kind of this passage um, in the beginning of chapter 2, where he's saying, look, if, if you've been encouraged by this, if there's any aspect that draws your heart to want to know more about who Jesus is, then do this. Make me excited and bring the understanding of who Christ is by recognizing what he has done. He has humbled himself, okay? He has made himself lowly. Yet being God, being Lord, God was the one who exalted him to the highest place. And we get to this kind of latter part in verse 9. It says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Okay? That at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow on, in heaven and on earth, okay? And confess that Jesus Christ is Kurios, Lord. That's the covenant God. That's Yahweh. Jesus is the same God as Yahweh who went to Moses and said, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to establish a place for you. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a place where you will dwell. But that land isn't here, it is there, and it is in a kingdom. I wanna just take a minute and we're going we're gonna to do just a little exercise, okay? We're going to have an exercise of faith, okay? Everybody to, ready to kind of stretch your faith muscles here? In moments of uncertainty, in moments of confusion, in moments of despair, do you trust this promise that is given by Paul? Truly? Do you truly embrace the fact that there is a day coming that every knee will bow 
in heaven and on earth. And notice, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's excitingly encouraging. It is also utterly terrifying. Because what's being stated here is there is a time coming when every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether they are following Christ or not. Whether they have followed him or not. Whether they have acknowledged him as Lord. There is a day when Christ will come again and demonstrate, I am Lord, I am the God of the covenant, and I am king. And at that moment, there are no more excuses. There are no more arguments. There is no more pacification. There is no more opportunity. And so lovingly, what I want to share with you is this. Have you acknowledged Christ as Lord? And if you have, do you trust him as such? The next thing that I want to share with you is this. In moments of injustice, corruption, and oppression, do you trust that Christ as the Lamb will return as the Lord? Friends, so often we look and we see at the injustice that is out there. We see what's happening. We look at these things and we say, that's not fair. The government's doing X or this is happening. Whatever it might be. We see corruption all around us. We see oppression everywhere. But do you trust that Christ who has come as a lamb is going to return as Lord, as the lion of the tribe of Judah like we talked about a week ago? And then another one, friends. In moments of pride, because we all have it, when we think we've got it together, when we think we don't need God, when we think we've got it all figured out, which leads us to sin, in which we become arrogant, may I ask lovingly, who is Jesus to you? Is he only a suggestion? Is he only a thought? Is he only something that you passively think about? Or is he Lord Kyrios of your life? Who is Jesus to you? Because again, a day is coming when all of creation will bow and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. We look at this and we think, well, why is that true? Why is that so? What I want to share with you is this. We're going to see that as Lord, as Kyrios, as the God, Yahweh, who's established the covenant to tabernacle with his people, to be the bread of life, to be the one who saves, to be our redeeming savior. Jesus is so much more worthy than simple passive consideration. He is worthy of our worship. And so lovingly this morning, what I want to ask is simply this. Are we passively considering Jesus? Are we, are we going through the motions? 
We kind of come into church, and I'm not, great, I'm glad you're here, right? Okay, awesome, I'm glad that you made the effort to come. But are you kind of just ticking them off the box? Great, went to church, did my thing, you know, got my dose of whatever for the day. Or is he worthy of your worship? Friends, what I want to, what I want to tell you is this. Um, I, if I just related to my bride, Kelly, one day a week for one hour, and I set a timer of 45 minutes. Now, God bless you. I'm not upset, okay? I know that's part of this. And we just talked. And I looked over, and I see 20, 39, 38, 37, 36, 35, 34, 33, 32. And in the moment when that thing says time's up, I said, see you next week. What kind of a relationship is that? Now, I'm using this for emphasis, okay? Please hear me on that. But friends, Christ is so much more than simply coming to church and sitting here, although that's a good thing. This is the culmination of the week. This is the time where we should come and celebrate the relationship that we've had with Christ throughout the week to come and be edified and encouraged by other believers who have spent time with Christ in a relationship throughout the week. Now, I'm not saying that you all gotta sit there and, and uh, you know, read your Bible for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I don't, and it would be a lie if I told you that I did. But friends, are we going to God on a regular basis? Are we worshiping him? Are we thanking him? Are we praising him? Are we taking him outside of these walls and being Christ to other people who are around us? And then coming here to rejoice and reflect on the fact that we worship God, who is Jesus, Kyrios, Lord, the covenant God, who is Yahweh. And to share with you just a few things, okay? Why is Jesus worthy of our worship? Why should I care? Why should we worship him anyway? And I just want to throw these out to you. And this isn't an exhaustive list. But first and foremost, I want to share with you that Jesus is worthy of our worship because he is the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. Thank you that he is the Lamb of God, that he was willing to be the sacrifice that takes away our sin. And may I remind us that for centuries, a system was set up that was trying to take away sin, that it looked really good, except for you and I weren't included in it. And if we were lucky enough to maybe be included in it, we couldn't get into the temple anywhere close to God because only one person could. And that person could only do it once a year. And that person would get all scrubbed up and look good on the outside, go in and do all of this stuff. And to be honest with you, when it was all said and done, all it could do was make you look good on the outside but still leave you dirty on the inside. But what we've discovered in the book of Hebrews is Christ being the great high priest, both king and lord, okay? Both priest and king and lord is the one who has the power as the lamb 
to take away our sin. And that's pretty big. But he's also worthy of our worship because he is the bread of life. And friends, we talked about him being the bread of life, the sustainer, the giver. We talked about the joy that he is. The fact that he was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, that Jesus is the bread of life, the giver, the sustainer, the one who brings about life to us. And so friends, as we go about our daily living, we, uh, we, we survive on bread, Jesus. And so lovingly, I'm asking you, what's your diet? What are you eating? Are you reading the word? Are you allowing it to grow your heart? Are you looking toward other things? Jesus is also worth your worship because he's the light of the world. He brings light into the darkness. He eradicates the darkness, which is sin and despair and the enemy. And friends, we have hope because of that, because we know that he's not one light among many. He is the light of the world. If we want light to eradicate darkness, we go to the one who is the light of the world, Jesus. He's also worthy of our worship because he's the good shepherd. There's times when I think through this, and I'm going to talk about this even in a a minute in the the message. Um, I'm amazed that Jesus as the good shepherd goes after the one that goes astray. Because in a moment when I talk about Jesus being friend, I'm going to tell you that there was a period in my life where I had wandered about as far as I could from God. Didn't want anything to do with him. And you would think that as a shepherd... He would look and he would say, okay, well, I've got my 98. We're just going to take a quota here. I don't want to lose them because this one has wandered and keeps wandering and doesn't want anything to do with me. And yet what Christ has done as the good shepherd is he says, I'll leave the 98 to go after the one which was me. There's a lot of times in the morning when I wake up and I say, thank you, God, for being that good shepherd. Thank you for pursuing me and not giving up on me when I had wandered so far away from you. Not only is Jesus worthy of our worship because he's a good shepherd, he's worthy of our worship because he's the resurrection and the life. It, it, is, it is so beautiful to have Jesus come forward and say, look, I am the resurrection. Son, I'm going to resurrect. I am the resurrection. And by that resurrection, I am also the life. I'm not going to be resurrected. See the difference? I am the resurrection. Because I am the resurrection, because I am Lord, because I am King, because I am God, I am the resurrection, and because I am the resurrection, I am life for you. And the way you're going to see that is by me going here to the cross. And we go back to that idea 
that Yahweh is the name most closely linked to God's redeeming acts in the history of his chosen people. Jesus is also worthy of our worship because he's the only means of our salvation. Friends, I know that that angers a lot of people and I'm not here to try to make enemies, but I will not waver on that. He is the only means of salvation. It is not arrogance, it is not pride, it is humility, yet it is a cry to the world to say that you have a God who loves you and wants you and has pursued you as the covenant Yahweh who relentlessly wants a relationship with you to the point that he gives you his son on a cross so that you might have eternal life with him. Will you choose him? Jesus is also worthy of our worship because he promises us to bring us unbreakable joy to our lives. Not happiness, joy. There's a big difference between happiness and joy because the world right now is pursuing happiness at whatever cost. And they are so addicted to happiness that they have lost joy. And friends, what I want to tell you is this, is some of the most unhappy people I see are the ones that I see have the greatest joy in Jesus Christ. Because they're not pursuing what the world can give. They have what Christ has given. Jesus is also worthy of our worship because he's given us the Holy Spirit. Friends, one of the things I want to share with you again is prior to Christ, God dwelt in the Ark of the Covenant, in the tabernacle, or in the temple. You and I couldn't get anywhere near him. We, we, we couldn't even get to the temple. We couldn't go in. We would have been off from afar, looking over there and saying, what's going on over there? I see these people going in. I see certain people going in there, and, and they do their thing, and... Every once in a while I see kind of this smoke rising from this inner part, but I don't really know what that's all about. And then maybe if we were lucky enough to be included, maybe we could get into kind of the first part of the temple, but we certainly couldn't go into the inner court. Because God is so holy that we in our ugliness cannot be anywhere close to him. And yet what God does is he says, I want to dwell among you, and I want to dwell among you so much that I'm going to give you my son so that you may have eternal life. But not only may you have eternal life, you may then have me inside of you as the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing you and saying you are mine. You are now my possession. You are now part of my kingdom. And I am king, and what is mine is mine, and I will keep it as such. Jesus is also worthy of our worship because he died upon a cross to forgive us of our sins. He's worthy of our worship because he's the resurrected Lord. 
resurrected Kurios Covenant Yahweh. And friends, he's worthy of our worship because he is the coming king. The king is coming. And so I just want to throw this out to you. This is a point to ponder. As Lord, who is worthy of our worship, do you only give him passive consideration with your life? What if Christ merely gave us passive consideration with our sin? What, what, if, what if Jesus, ah, I'll get around to it. Right? What, if, what if the Father said, hey Jesus, I need you to go down to earth and I need you to become a man. I need you to humble yourself. I need you to go. I need you to die on a cross so that, that those individuals can have a relationship with me. I'll think about it. I'll get back to you. I'm busy. Not today, Dad. Maybe tomorrow. What do I get from it? Send somebody else. What did Jesus do? He went joyfully to the cross, willingly to the cross. Put those two things together. Oh God, I'll, I'll, I'll give you more time when it's convenient for me. Don't bother me now, God. We look at what Christ has done. We look at him as being Lord. We recognize that he goes joyfully to the cross to die upon us, to give us life, to become the resurrected Savior, to be known as Lord, the covenant God of Yahweh, all so that we might have a relationship with him. So friends, what I want to ask you is this. Where in your life might you be able to more colorfully express your worship of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? How might you take your worship of him from black and white to high definition? And I'm not saying legalistically. I'm not saying, you know, do these five things and blah, 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 blah. But just ask yourself. Go before God and say, Lord, what, what can I do what do you want from me? How might I turn my life to be a greater expression of who you are to the world that's around me? Because you are worthy of my worship. And friends, I've listed 11, and I could have listed 150 or more. And then you all would have shot me because we'd have been here for five hours speaking about the worship of our Lord. Is he worthy of our worship? How do we worship him? And how do we express that worship in our life to other people? 
The second name that I want to speak to you about is friend. And it's interesting because we're coming off of Lord. We're coming off of this idea of Christ as Lord, the covenant God of Yahweh, right? The one who covenants with his people, who promises to be with them. And then we move to this idea of friend, phylos in Greek. One of the things that I want to share with you is this, that Jesus demonstrates the greatest expression of love by laying his life down for his friends, his phylos. We're going to just turn uh, real quick to John, and I want to just read. Um, we're going to be looking up at uh, kind of the last part of chapter 15. We're in the vine and the branches, and we're speaking, and Jesus is saying, look, you know, I'm the vine, and you're my branches. If you remain in me, I will remain in you, right? This idea of, I'm here. I'm the life. I'm the giver. I'm the sustainer. You are an offshoot of this, yet if you remain in me, I bring life to you. And the question in there is this, will you remain in me? Over and over and over again, will you remain in me? Friends, it's not that Jesus is stuttering. It's not that Jesus doesn't know what to say. He's making a point. He is time and time and time again saying, I know you. I know your heart. I know who you are. I know that you're prone to wander. I know that you are prideful. I know that you want to do things on your own. I know that you want a little bit of me and a whole lot of you. And what I'm asking you is, will you remain in me? And then he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his. That's a whole sermon for another day. But friends, it's one thing to love Jesus. It's a whole other thing to love Jesus by remaining in his love and obeying his commands. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Friends, you want joy? You want joy in your life? Then remain in Jesus. If you're experiencing a joyless Christianity, then lovingly I might ask, are you remaining in him? My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command, which is what? Remain in I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. I'm not hiding anything from you. What you see is what you get. What you need to know is what you have. And you have it all in me because you are my friend. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. 
then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. The greatest expression of Christ's love is laying his life down for his friends. And so another point for us to ponder is this. I'm continually amazed, like I've said before, okay, that before I was lovable, when God was my enemy, when I wanted nothing to do with him, when I cursed his very name, he had willingly, lovingly, and joyfully laid down his life for me. Because I was his friend. His phylos. Can I ask you a question? Would any of you lay your life down for someone who wants nothing to do with you? Curses your very name? And is it enmity with you, your sworn enemy? Yet that's what Christ has done for me and for all of us. And he's done so joyfully and willingly because he is our phylos, our friend. And what's interesting in this is being Lord and the God of the covenant as friend, as phylos, we can approach Jesus without fear of rejection. It's one thing that I want to share with you that I, I, I just, I love in this. We, we, we exalt Christ, which he needs to be exalted. He's supposed to be exalted. He is Lord. He is the maker. He is the creator. But because he's also friend, we can approach him without fear of rejection. I just want to share this with you, okay? The word friend, or phylos in Greek, okay, is also closely related to the word relative, the two almost go hand in hand. So it's beyond just a friendship, okay? It's beyond a casual acquaintance, okay? Some of you that are younger, it is way more than just a friend tick on Facebook or TikTok. It's a relationship because you are a friend who is a relative that is there. In fact, the two are interchangeable. Friend, relative. Friend, relative. There is no greater love than this because Christ died on a cross and lays his life down for his relative. Friend. More than an acquaintance on TikTok. More than an acquaintance on Facebook more than someone if you are angry and unlovable that he can simply click a button and block. There is no block button with Jesus. The word is also closely related to the word phileo, which means to love. A friend, relative, who loves. In fact, from it we get Philadelphia, the city, which is essentially the city of brotherly love. 
We might often think that God is someone who will reject us because of our imperfections. Yet it is these very imperfections that Christ cherishes and has taken upon himself so that we might have a relationship with him. Phylos, friends, because Jesus is friend, what he is doing is he is saying, I am dying for you because I want you to have a relationship with me as my relative because I love you. Jesus looks at our imperfections. Jesus looks at our sins. Jesus looks at our ugliness. Jesus looks at our darkness. Jesus looks at those thoughts and he says, I want those for me because I want you. So one of the things that I want to share with you is this, is that you can come to Christ as Lord, as friend. And recognize that when you do, you have a relationship with him. And then those of us that are in Christ, I want to ask you, are you going to Christ as Lord, but also as friend? Or are you trying to clean up your life? Are you trying to hide things from him? Are you trying to look better than you are before our God? What I love about this is because the fact that Jesus is friend is what he's doing is he's saying, look, bring your ugliness to me. Bring your bad stuff to me. Bring the stuff that you every single day try to hide from other people because you're afraid that if they really see who you are, if they really know who you are, they're going to reject you. Give that to me because I want that from you because I love you because you are my friend who is my relative whom I love. One of the things that uh, I just, it's funny how God is working and what he's doing, but um, again, I, if you haven't read this book, um, I, I strongly, strongly urge you to get it. Um, I'm maybe even contemplating looking at a, at a study or a, a sermon series on it, but it is the book Gentle and Lowly, okay, by Dan, uh, this, this Dane Ortland. Um, it is a it is a short, long read, and I know that doesn't make sense, okay? Um, it is, there are not a, a ton of deep theological terms, but when you read it, and when you contemplate it, and when you look into it, you can literally meditate on, on a paragraph for hours. It is about the spirit of Christ and the love of Christ, particularly looking for those who are in sin or who are struggling because they're suffering. It is such a good book. But what he says in this part, where he's speaking about Christ being an advocate, is the fact that we have Christ who is an intercessor, and I've explained this. Christ is interceding on our behalf in those moments when we're not necessarily able to pray for what we need or know. He is going to the Father, okay? And he is interceding for us. But then also Christ is advocating for us. And advocation is when we screw up, okay? Interceding is, hey, you know, help Trevor here because, you know, um, he, he needs this or whatever, okay? 
Over here, he's advocating, you know what? Trevor chose to sin against you today, and I'm advocating to say he's mine. And in this advocation, what's going on is he's wanting us to come to him with our gook and our ugliness and our crud so that we can bring it to him joyfully. This is what, I, what, what Dane Ortland says about this, okay? Um, friends, don't minimize your sin or excuse it away. Okay? We, we try to hide it so much. Raise no defense. Okay? Simply take it to the one who is already at the right hand of the Father advocating for you. And how is he advocating for you? On the basis of his own wounds. I love this. He's advocating for your gook, your ugliness, your sin. On the basis of his wounds. Puts a whole nother broad perspective to the doctrine of atonement. Let your own unrighteousness in all of your darkness and your despair drive you to Jesus Christ, the righteous in all of his brightness and sufficiency. I've got it, says Jesus. Bring it to me. Come to me. Don't be afraid of me. Don't hide your sin from me. Don't bring any, or, or don't think that you've got to clean up whatever it is that you're struggling with before you can come. I see it. I know it. I can handle it. P.S. I have handled it on the basis of my wounds. It's done. It's forgiven. It's over. And you, my friends, amigos, are my friend, my phylos, my relative, whom I love. Just a quick point to ponder on this. Because Jesus is our friend, and we can approach him without fear or rejection, are you willing to share your brokenness with him? Don't hide it. Don't clean it up. Don't give him 50%. Don't try to look better than you are. Just go to him. And say, Lord, I'm broken. And I need you. And whatever it might be. This morning we've looked at Christ being both Lord and friend. And it's amazing that those two go so hand in hand, yet are so culturally apart. Yet Christ is the one who embodies them so perfectly. So I want to leave you essentially with this idea as we look at our take-home truth as Lord and friend. While worthy of all creation's worship, we can approach Jesus without fear or rejection. The maker is the sustainer of all things. The one at some point who all of creation will bow and say, Jesus Christ is curios, Lord. That's a big deal.
but as our friend, we can approach him without fear of rejection because of what he's done for us on the cross. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for you. Lord, I know that as we look at to you, as we look at who you are, as we look at to the attributes that you have, I pray that they would just continue to remind us of what we have in you, so much more than Savior, although that is amazing. And Father, as we go home this morning, I pray that we would contemplate our lives, we would see, Lord, how are we making you Lord in our life? Have we made you Lord of our life? But also, Lord, if there's areas where we might be struggling, where we might be distanced from you, maybe we sin and we feel like you just simply can't forgive us, or maybe you don't want a relationship with us anymore. Maybe we realize that indeed you are our friend, a phylos who can handle it on the basis of your wounds. So may, as we see from this comment by Dane Ortland, may we bring our darkness to you. May we bring our ugliness to you. And may we do so recognizing that you rejoice when we come broken before you. Knowing that you are the one who heals all wounds. You are the one who has brought about righteousness in our life. And Father, may that bring peace and joy and rest and hope to our souls. We thank you. We love you. I pray all of this in your name, dear Jesus. We ask it by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say.